Hi, everybody. Welcome back to We've Got Mail. This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William Bibiani. That's okay. right. Yeah, check, your for dri- the rap. Yeah, every- check your driver's license there yeah, for a second. Every- it's been a long day. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. Uh, I-, I do recall. I checked this morning. Uh, I am a... Uh, Senior staff writer over at Slash Film. Fancy. I, I got a I got a promotion. Congrats. Recently. They, yeah. They changed, they changed my title a little bit, yeah. so I'm a senior staff writer because I write too many damn articles, <laughs> and uh, I'm not writing there anymore. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, these things happen. But uh, in yeah, any case, I, 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 our our business is turbulent, is. but you know what's always constant. This show, yes. This this podcast, we get together, yeah. we we ramble about bullshit, and that's why we're here. Yes, and in particular, we love rambling with you, our audience. Here's how this podcast works: you email us, or you send us physical correspondence, and we read it on the air, and we respond to your questions, or we talk about whatever you want us to talk about. The floor is yours. Uh, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. box? Yeah, you can send us that physical letter or package or postcard to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. That's right. And uh, we're very fortunate. We have a couple of pieces of uh, physical mail. 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 And in fact, this first one came all the way from the Netherlands. Nice. So this is this is an overseas letter. Yeah, like there's some that. nice stickers and on there, here. Yeah, the beautiful a, cat. There's a sticker on the envelope. One is a, a kitty, and the other is like a little uh, little paintbrush. It says "Art versus Depression." Oh, I art, love that. Art will win. And the cat time. looks like uh, a fluffier version of Dante. I my my one of my and, cats. Uh, so that's the. Nice. I, I don't speak Dutch, so I apologize for mangling this. Uh, but on the front of this car, it's got penguins on it, ooh. and it says "Funic." Cursed. Nice. Sure, I got that wrong. Uh, Dear Bims and Whitney, this is inside the card. Uh, wishing you a wonderful 2024. Uh, with great movies, financial stability, <laughs> healthy families, and so on. Cheers from Rotterdam. Uh, Anna. No, thank you, Anna. Anna it's thank just you a very it's much. beautiful little Christmas card. Can you see? Uh, pres- oh. uh, pre- Pretiga Kerstagen and in Gelukig New Year. Oh, that's, I'm that's, sure Whitney uh, mangled that. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, sadly, I know very little about oh, uh, God, Dutch pronunciation. There are these cute little penguins, yeah, little and they've penguins. got their little Christmas and cracker hats on, and they're sledding in the snow. That's adorable. I'm crinkle near the, the microphone here, because there's a little envelope in there. Stuck close yeah, to another Thank little you. kitty you didn't have to. We love pictures of kitties, by oh, the way. Always, we're, we're, yes. we're the cat people. Except for that movie, Cats. Well, Ooh, here we go. That's kind so, of special. Here, take a look at these stickers here. Oh, my. Oh, we got what here. Got, here? We got some stickers. One's in the shape of a spoon. That's a very pretty spoon. Got a oh, it says, uh, oh, it says spoons, and it says you're tearing me apart, Lisa. This is the spoon <laughs> from uh, from the room. Nice. Got some beautiful uh, uh, Christmas ornament uh, okay. type deals here. Uh, oh, very lovely snowflake. <laughs> okay. Christmas ornaments. What does this one say? Oh, wait, and there's an additional letter in here. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, Anna had something else to say. All right. 
Um, I don't, Ooh, I, like, I love I, this black cat one. I'd like to crinkle it just so you can get the sort of the tactile mm. experience. Uh, Ooh, it says, uh, Dear Bibbs and Whitney, you are wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> well, this has turned very quick. <laughs> Dear Bibbs and Whitney, you are wrong about Barbie in this particular case. Technical note, this draft has been sitting in my notes for half a year, <laughs> so I decided to combine it with a Christmas card and ensure you uh, that you'll actually read an answer. Well, you sent us a letter we're going to read. Yeah, we always read the letter. You know, we're not so overwhelmed with physical mail that we have to sort of parse through them. Yeah. You send us a letter, it's pretty, pretty closely guaranteed. That what have we so. done? Uh, Barbie is actually a harmful movie. Okay. Well, I agree with a lot of the praise, there are two things at the end of the movie that undo the good. Spoilers ahead. Uh, point one. A minor but still annoying thing. During the UBU speech, Ruth, the creator of Barbie, says, quote, A mother's job is to stand still while the daughter is moving forward. Mm-hmm. It reads as a woman equals mother, which is a very weird take for a movie that starts with crashing baby dolls. Mm. That's like, whatever, just minor. But point two, the real bad thing, is how Barbie how it's on Barbie to reassure Ken and help him find himself. Mm. Look, he was an abusive jerk. Alienated her friends and kicked her out of her own house. Insecurity can explain this behavior, but it should just never be used as an excuse for abuse. And this movie kind of almost kind of almost addresses it when the human woman is doing makeup for Barbie and reminds her how much he's hurt her, but then not. The lesson is that women should always be the bigger person, kinder, nicer, and more forgiving. Bullshit. Fucking bullshit. (laughs) We can forgive it if it helps us to move on, but we should be taught... But we should never be taught to help our abusers. Fuck this narrative very much. Unfortunately, this scene undoes all the how hard it is to be a woman speeches, and I am very surprised it's not addressed more widely. Uh, I might agree, uh, have agreed with Bibbs on the the movie tries to do so much that some things that are not great stick out. If it's not demographics in my movie theater, tween and teen girls mostly dressed in pink. I don't want them to see that ending. I don't want them to think that it's expected for women to help men who hurt them. Men are not babies. Grow up and get a therapist of your own. Thank you for reading all of uh, for reading and for all your hours of podcasts. I enjoy your banter for so many years. B movies podcast anyone? Oh, Anne has been listening for a while. Oh, very long time. Um, uh, please always be true to yourselves. Wishing you a warm holiday season and a decent 2024. The bow is lar- the bar is low lately. Thank <laughs> Anna. And P.S. Sorry for the typos. No, no, uh, you're wonderful. Thank you so much, and thank you for that uh, feedback. You know, uh, Barbie is an interesting film in that it brings up a lot, and the way that it tackles those issues mm-hmm. uh, is depending on your perspective. Great. Yeah. Or really lacking, and I think the things that you bring up, and I'm coming. This is coming from the one of us who liked it more. Yeah, uh, are pretty fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not always my interpretation, but they're they're not unreasonable interpretations. Yeah. I think the line uh, uh, that Ray Perlman says about motherhood mm-hmm. is a little reductive. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's supposed to be like maybe intended just for this moment rather than an altruism. But considering how much the movie is trying to speak in larger terms it couldn't be taken that way and maybe that's a miscalculation well i I think it's important uh, in that moment for the the rhea permalin character who plays barbie's creator yeah so she's essentially barbie's mom yeah uh she's also a product of the 1950s and i think all of that context is important for that scene and the idea of it's a mother's job so to stand still so the daughter moves forward is important for Barbie to hear because Barbie is not a human yeah. and is not a mother and doesn't kind of understand that role at all. She's never mm-hmm. sort of experienced children in her weird Edenic fantasy. True. Um, and I'm willing... Or a mother. Pardon? Or a mother. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
in, in fact, she doesn't even have uh, reproductive organs until the, the end of the movie. Right, and you can uh, look at that uh, moment, for example, mm-hmm. as uh, Rhea Pullman's character uh, basically saying, and we're talking about the end of Barbie right now. This is spoiler mm-hmm. stuff if you still haven't seen it. It's, it's, one, of most, some it's stuff, one of the most popular movies of the year. But, yeah, I'm just going to give you a heads up. Skip ahead if you need to. Uh, the movie is about... Um, uh, a, a society of people who are don't have a gender but are performing a gender, mm. and that performative that performative heteronormativity gets becomes a problem when Ken discovers yeah. patriarchy. Rather, so the end of that movie is Barbie deciding to move on from that life and also to transition. Mm. She. Be transitioning into into a woman female, yeah, yeah yeah exactly so that is a mother saying that's that's okay and i think mm. that's an interpretation that could be you could look at that as that saying mm. i'm not holding you back yeah no. and there's something that could be a very positive interpretation of that mm. but again it's trying to cover so many bases mm. that i think it's there will be people who interpret it fairly mm. in positive and negative ways well i i think Something that the the screenwriters, it's Greta Gerwig and uh, Noah Baumbach wrote it together. Uh, they were trying to capture several generations of feminism at the same time. Yeah. And the messages throughout different generations of feminism have addressed different uh, concerns for women and women's rights. And I feel like a lot of those to- tones and messages from various generations of feminism uh, do start bumping into each other a little bit sure. in that movie. Uh, they they were so eager to put it all in there right. that uh, they couldn't sort of put it all out. And after a while, good. I mean, if mm-hmm. they started to, it would just start to be you know speech after speech and essays and essays, mm-hmm. and it co- would kind of lose the the frothy pink fun yeah, that it's selling it's itself as. It's, it's um, trying to have balance. Anyway. As for Ken, I mm. think. Um, the point of his abusive behavior was that he only just discovered asshole masculine behavior. Think of it and as a, a think of it as a child who only just discovered like men's yeah. rights activist bullshit okay. on YouTube and is now performing it and needs exactly. to be told or, no. Or uh, think of it as the actual symbols we get in the movie, the comparison to 2001 A Space Odyssey, mm. where he has he's the ape with the bone. Yeah, he's like found this tool that you know is just he's using it for destruction right he's using it to beat others to death um i barbie to my eye is an eden movie it's sure. it's an adam it's, about Eve, the it's an, yeah, yeah. an adam and a- Eve adam's the one who brings the apple but exactly yeah. uh it's it's just yeah. yeah adam is the one who brings the apple and the apple is the patriarchy yeah uh and so barbie lands get is the garden of eden that's the thing that gets corrupted so if we're to see accept barbie and ken and greta gerwig's very clear about the fact mm. that they are inhuman innocence mm-hmm. uh that they are symbols of humanity it's it might be hard for you to accept because they actually are live action people sure but and, uh, and they want things that mm-hmm. quote-unquote real people yeah want not the same things it turns mm-hmm. out barbie is actually very actively asexual mm-hmm. whereas ken isn't and that's part of where their disconnect well, comes from you know what i appreciate is that uh at the end <clears throat> when he says when i learned that the patriarchy wasn't all about horses yeah i kind of lost interest so yeah. Yeah, for him it was even kind of performative and I exactly think it was, it's performative and, 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 and i liked that uh, both barbie and ken mm-hmm. had a little bit of an arc to follow um if if you're to see Ken as an abusive partner, mm-hmm. which is a totally fair read, sure, because he it's tra- in there. and in fact uh, there's a, there's a 
that whole Matchbox 20 song, which, which they just like whip the heck out of in that movie, yeah. uh, you know, does show that there is this pattern of mistreatment of women that is being sold in throughout popular culture as romance. Yeah. Uh, I want to push you around. That's, mm. that's romance. That was all, that yeah. was always a dark song. I feel yeah. like the uplifting tone of it mm. is one of those things that just, I, I think a lot of people were kind of surprised to like, wait, is that the lyrics? Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that the whole, uh, that's not like a metaphor. Uh, oh I, shit. I want to take you for granted. It's pretty clear. I, you know, I, uh, you know. Mm. so, uh, that, that's it's a fair read and if you yeah. see Ken as an abuser all the Kens as abusers mm-hmm. um, keep in mind a big part of that movie is the Barbies trying to undo that abuse yeah well this is and you know kind of absolve the Kens I don't think it absolves the Kens or, or I think, not, I, not absolve that's, that's not that's, the right no not, I think it's the not right, right word, it's, but, yeah. it's actually taking them to task mm. I think what happens and again, I'm, this is coming from someone who who likes the movie and doesn't quite look at it the same way but I again I your, your read is valid um, first off, they're not in a romantic relationship. That is mm-hmm. key from the beginning. But regardless, he's still being emotionally abusive. That part is true. Um, they take the Kens down. Mm-hmm. They manipulate the Kens and they rob them of all power in society. Mm-hmm. They're not just uh, forgiving them. They have to obliterate everything that they thought they've achieved. Yeah. And I don't think that's nothing. Uh, and as for Barbie forgiving Ken, I, I look at that. The thing about the Barbie movie is that I think it understands that patriarchy uh, as as a concept, as uh, the, the way people live, um, hurts women. And not that this is necessarily the most important part, but it also hurts men. Yeah. And... I think it's. I think it pities Ken. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that it is absolving him of anything. I think it understands that that kind of uh, performative masculinity, that kind of patriarchal control, that kind of misogyny, uh, stems from a very sad, insecure place. And I would hope, this is what when I was watching it, mm-hmm. that the younger uh, uh, men, boys, uh, in the audience, will look at that scene and go, oh, I don't need to do that in order to have my emotions acknowledged mm-hmm. and to connect with people. And that's actually a sad, pathetic thing to do. Mm-hmm. That's my hope. It might be taken another way. And that, that's valid too. I'm only describing why I liked it enough to put it on my top ten list. And mm. you know, we were trying to not talk too much about spoilers um, in our top ten list episode, and I think we kind of failed at that. But because <laughs> we talked <laughs> well, about uh, a lot of endings and in, mm. in, in only somewhat vague ways, no. sometimes I feel kind of bad about it. But uh, the, the, um, the way yeah. I, the way I think of it, I I, uh, I know a lot of people like to keep information away from themselves before mm-hmm. they see a movie. Yeah. Um, if if I can allude to an interesting ending or mm. have to explain to somebody that something that happened near the end is what made the film so appealing to me that I have to at least oh, yeah. allude to that. Yo, you allude uh, to it. I think if, we got a little overly descriptive a few times. Uh, we were trying not to, but we were trying to yeah. for people who had seen it or might see it but, later uh, be able to key into what we were talking mm. about. I think maybe. But the, there are... There it's, are a, le- it's a tricky tightrope. There are legitimate concerns about Barbie. Yes. And uh, it, it is... I don't think it's a perfect movie. It wasn't on my top ten list. Mm-hmm. Um 
I think it's a really great film for uh, younger audiences, but in terms of presenting some sort of like sophisticated feminist treatise, it's mm. actually pretty basic. Well, yeah, uh, because it's meant to appeal to a younger crowd. Exactly. And it's very healthy for that younger crowd. Yeah, I would hopefully, think. yeah. Um, I would think what I saw. I think oh, people could take some healthy messages away, but as as we are now seeing, some people could take some very unhealthy messages away. So, um, it's worth looking at. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And and seriously, thank you so much yeah. for your input. And I really appreciate it. We do have one more thing, and this is actually a package. We've got a big package in the mail. We get to rip this one. Okay, open, don't so. rip it up too close to the mic. You're going to hurt someone's ears. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there's there's a little tab. Here. Yeah. Ah, satisfying. Yeah, it's tactile. Right. Ooh, ooh, there's, oh, there's... Oh, my gosh. There's a bag. This says mm. Snick Snacks. Mm. It's a bag of pretzels. Oh, it's like pretzel sticks and... Somebody sends us like, like little, some Cheerios. Like bags of food. And, and it's checks? Snick Snacks. Yeah, it's like a little oh chicks God. mix. That's so fun. Yeah, like Cheerios and pretzel sticks Thank and little, little crackers in there. there. What else is in here? We got Happy Holidays and Moo-ree Christmas. <laughs> From The Flying Cow. Oh. Uh, movie battle. There's like a little uh, bunch of podcasts around a little uh, clip art of a yeah. Christmas fire. Yeah, The Flying Cow is like a, is a podcast channel. They do a lot let's of cool see. stuff. We've been on their shows before. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. Let me take an envelope. And there's letter in here. Okay. This is adorable. Uh, see, and this one comes from, let me look at the bottom here. Uh, R. Clay Johnson. Hey, R. Clay. There's actually oh. a, a thing in here, too. Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, do you want to read that one? Uh, I'll try. Um, Bibbs and Whitney, there are three letters enclosed full of takes, recommendations, and requests. This is my third attempt to send them. Oh, my gosh. So hopefully they reach you. Sorry about that. Uh... Uh, the snacks enclosed contain nuts, so if there are any allergies, do not open them. However, if you can enjoy them, I hope you do. They are called Snicks Snacks. It is a family recipe, like Chex Mix, but better anyway <laughs> hope you enjoy this uh whenever it reaches you happy holidays r clay johnson aka the flying cow uh, there yeah. we go thank you uh so here are the three letters uh they're all short so do you okay think I, let's I do right. uh letter number one and i'll go through quickly um Dear Bibs and Sibes, I wanted to let you both know that my podcast, The Academy, is wrapping up our review of the year 1930. Hmm. As a reminder, The Academy is a show on the Flying Cow Network that takes a random year, cultivates a list of the 15 best films from that year, we watch them, discuss them, and ultimately decide the best picture. The last 1930 review episode uh, dropped in August, and while our award show at the Teddy Awards, named after my dog, uh, will be available in September. Oh, so these, these, these are Oh, these are old. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, it has been a fun project, definitely, definitely worth checking out. Below you will find our list grouped in order of which we reviewed them. I would, of course, love to hear your thoughts on any of these, and we'll also be sharing my own thoughts and recommendations to you as well. Group number one. Okay. 1930. Yes. Lodge Door. Okay. Age of Gold, the Boonwell film. Yes, I see... Uh, not sure if I've seen that one. Oh, it's, it's very good. Some of the Boonwells blend together right. for me. Uh, number two, The Big Trail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, early John Wayne. Yeah, yeah good no, movie. Uh, number three, Morocco. Uh, number, oh, number, I four, number four, Monte Carlo. And number five, All Quiet on the Western Front. Well, All Quiet on the Western which, Front Which is... I recently called one of the best movies ever. And um, I I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. Group two, Animal Crackers. Oh, God. Uh, Anna Christie. I don't know Anna Christie. Oh, I, I think I know that one, actually. Uh, number three, Earth. Uh, yeah, the uh, the unholy three. I love the unholy three. Oh, yeah. That's a Todd that's, Browning that's movie. A cool movie yeah. And the divorcee with uh, Norma mm. Shearer, my my fake girlfriend, Norma Shearer. Uh, <laughs> uh, group number three, uh, the Blue Angel. 
The uh, Marlena yeah. Dietrich film. Yeah, yeah. Number, uh, number two, City Girl. Number three, Hell's Angels. Number mm-hmm. four, Madam Satan. And number nice. five, The Big House. The Big House is oh, really good. The Big House really is great. Good. One of the early, very formative uh, prison movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I saw. I think I saw Anna Christie like a long time ago. That's a really good movie. I also don't know what Earth is. Yeah, I don't, that, that one is, I gotta be honest, that's not ringing a bell either. Um, a few quick thoughts. Marlena Dietrich is a badass and fascinating to watch. Yes. I'd never seen a Marlena Dietrich movie before this. That would be The Blue Angel. Uh, I couldn't take my eyes off her. I look forward to seeing more of her work. Same for Ernst Lubitsch. Oh, yeah. I had never seen any of his films before starting this project, which is a big reason why I chose Monte Carlo. Uh, for my, oh, it's a Lubitsch film, Monte Carlo. Ah, yeah, I thought that sounded familiar. I found it a fun pre-code rom-com musical. I look forward to seeing more of his celebrated work. Mm. Uh, see Trouble in Paradise. It's really, really good. Mm. Um, I understand why Whitney calls Norma Shearer his girlfriend. <laughs> I think you might have a few rivals now. Her yeah. performance in The Divorcee is so good. Uh, both myself and one of my co-hosts described her performance as sexy and powerful. We weren't big fans of the rest of the film. Uh, in fact, one of my co-hosts coined the quote that I now want to see on a poster, it's probably fine. <laughs> However, we all agreed that she was easily the best part of the film. Uh, the Blue Angel is one of the best films on this list that sticks with me the most. It's a very interesting story that includes issues of status and self-worth and the decline of one of the characters is absolutely haunting. I will say, though, seek out the German version. I enjoyed it much more than the English version. Oh, okay. Good to know. Uh, I think you can easily say that the greatest fil- find of this project was the F.W. Murnau silent film City Girl. Murnau. Mm. Uh, it follows a young country boy who goes to the city and meets a charming young waitress. They fall in love and get married. When they return to the country, they must now deal with the father's preconceptions of who she is. Mm. As the titular city girl, Mary Duncan has Jean Arthur energy. Ooh, she has a great energy. The leads have great chemistry. I was in- invested in their relationship and was genuinely upset every time they met a new obstacle. The score for this is also fantastic and it works great with the film. I can only recommend it from this list if i can only recommend one film from this list it would be city girl wow it's easy to easy enough to find on youtube yeah uh, but make sure you find a version with the score uh final thoughts in discussing this group of films as a whole we discovered that a lot of them featured a women behaving badly narrative yeah the yeah. fallen woman narrative was, was very for, in was really the hip at the time Actually, yeah. the whole silent era until the until the production code kind of knocked that off a little bit yeah because yeah, you couldn't show as many vices yeah but yeah that, that that's where bullshit like you know uh, reefer madness comes from it's yeah like, go to the city like, and, you can oh, show no. vices but only if you like or show really them judgmental like, about yeah, it yeah. super judgmental about it yeah uh, sometimes or, just or if it's bib excuse me or if it's biblical yeah if it's violence to jesus christ then that's acceptable <laughs> violence it, yes indeed uh Let's see. Sometimes they're just presentationally, often judgmentally, but with rare exception, most of these powerhouse female performances were paired with male characters that were either assholes or nothing. This brought about some very interesting results from our award show, which will be available next month. That is September, so a couple months ago at this point. Uh, I still feel bad. Until I, until then, I encourage everyone to catch up with this season of the Academy on the Flying Cow. Please uh, do. Patre- that sounds great. Patreon.com slash the Flying Cow. As always, thank you, Bibbs and Whitney, for all you do. It's because of you and all the other film podcasts might even exist. Until next time, moo. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's one. That's one. Second okay. letter's much shorter. Uh, dear okay. Bibbs, and I got like some wingdings up here at the top. Okay. My Oscars podcast, The Academy, is about to begin our review of 1968. Okay. So once again, I would love to your input. I need five suggestions from each uh, each of your top films of 1968, not including the Best Picture nominees. Oliver, Funny Girl, The Lion in Winter, Rachel, Rachel, and Romeo and Juliet. Thanks for your suggestions. Okay. Uh, P.S. was the final year of the production code. 68 was the final year of the production code, so it was a weird and interesting year. 
uh, 68, I think it was the day, the year of, uh, the day of wine and roses. Mm. I think persona was released. Let me look up 1968. Okay. Uh, we're not going to turn this into an hour long podcast, which we could very easily do (laughs) about the best films of 68. So we're going to keep this pretty quick. And of course this is pretty cursory. We didn't do a deep dive into everything that came out in 1968. Uh, Whitney, why don't you just rattle Uh, off your, your five. Planet of the Apes. Uh, yes, that's a classic. 2001 A Space Odyssey. They came out the same day. Isn't that crazy? That's amazing. That's, that, that's a double feature. Two of the best science yeah. fiction movies ever made came out the same day. Wow. Um, uh, Hour of the Wolf. Oh. The Ingmar Bergman film. Yeah. Uh, Hour of the Wolf and Shame evidently came out in the same year. So Bergman oh. was busy being very depressing that year. <laughs> um, As opposed to... <laughs> all, all those upbeat comedies he made. Yeah. Um, they're uh, Yellow Submarine okay yeah cute uh, and uh, John Cassavetti's Faces okay those, those are good picks I, I could have picked uh, Night of the Living Dead but you don't need me to recommend Night yeah you don't need me to pick, recommend Night of the Living Dead you don't need me to recommend 2001 or the producers um, but uh, I'm gonna go with um, the Witchfinder General oh the uh, Vincent Price movie. Yeah, it's one of Vincent Price's best movies. It's a really brutal film about a guy who travels the countryside of medieval Europe um, uh, hunting witches for money, and he knows he's a fraud. Oh. And he just enjoys getting money for torturing people. It's really, <laughs> really bitter, and it's great. Um, Danger Diabolic, which I maintain is one of the greatest comic book movies ever made. It is freewheeling, it is sexy, it is funny, it is. <laughs> Um, oh, it's like stylish a, as hell. It's Mario Bava to that yeah. one. Yeah, oh, so great. Um, really fantastic. One of the best cult movies ever made. Spider Baby. Oh, Spider Baby's excellent. Spider Baby's amazing. You got to see Spider Baby. You'll 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 really be like, what the hell? Um, and then uh, one of my favorite samurai movies came out that year. Kill. Oh, okay. It is based yeah. on the same story that uh, Sanjuro, uh, the sequel to Yojimbo, is based on, but it's a more comedic take, and it is also great. Uh, and then lastly, just because Whitney didn't mention it, uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, uh, oh, which is arguably Leone's greatest Western. I've seen that one. I think I have. The one with Henry Fonda. Yeah, I've seen that yeah, one. Yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah. You, you're not as big on Westerns. Uh, so yeah. Just, yes, that's, which is fair, but let, like, there you go. Let, let Leone. Yeah, d- yeah. D- d- does his thing. <laughs> I, I am unimpressed. Wow. That's, people say I'm a harsh critic. Okay. All right. Leone, that hack. Yep. What else? And uh, we got one more letter? And there's one more letter. Uh, greetings, Bibbs and Cool, the Meister of Rock. I'm glad we get these sort of all at once, kind of yeah. condensed. Uh, I just wrapped up my project Around the Whorl on the Flying Cow Patreon, which reviewed all of the Ernest movies. Nice. Uh, wonderful name for an Ernest podcast. That's a good one. That, uh, we had a lot of fun with this project uh, through its many ups and downs and decided it, we wanted to end... Uh, ended it we wanted to review a film that was tangentially related so we found a film that was written and directed by coke sams the writer of many of the early Ernest movies and starring a character that was introduced in hey Vern, it's Ernest. the film is called existo from 1999 i don't know it follows a group of artists in a dystopian future fighting against their ultra conservative government through the power of performance art it is in a word bizarre how bizarre three words penis pogo stick Hmm. it's also a musical I had actually hoped to review this as a crossover with you, but obviously you have both been very busy lately. Sorry However, while that. watching it, it uh, I couldn't help but feel like the film was right up your alley. Uh, it might, 
I might be wrong, but this feels like the type of thing that Whitney would call punk rock. It's definitely the trend of 90s counterculture. It's taking huge swings, most of which are pretty fun. It does have a tendency to veer from the dark comedy tone into complete silliness. The production quality is pretty bad, and some of it is so dark you can't see anything. However, the low-budget feeling uh, matches the tone of the film. If the production was much higher, it would almost feel out of place. In my opinion, the less sense it makes, the more it works. It feels like a cult film, but if one had... But if it uh, has one, I don't know about it. Uh, I, honestly, this movie does not come up very often. Um, and it does I, I'm, look very am, much like a Whitney joint. I haven't seen it, but I'm familiar with Existo. Um, yeah. It, it looks yeah. neat, but yeah, I haven't seen this one. Thank you for making us aware of it. Let's see. Uh, some, somebody notable did Existo. Mm. Well, Jim Varney's in it. Well, Jim Varney's in it, but like the, mm. like the filmmakers, I think, well, were... Well, Coke Sams, uh, mm. who did like a lot of the earnest stuff. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think. I guess I don't know who I'm, yeah, who I'm I think... thinking of. Um, yeah. Anyway, d- 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 uh, it's a recommendation for me just for the experience. It's on YouTube. If mm-hmm. you get a chance, I would love to hear your take on it. Uh, P.S. All episodes of Around the World are now being released once, once a month on the main feed of... Uh, the Fine cat. So make sure you check so that out. Th- those are the three letters we got from Mark Lay Johnson. Thanks Thank for you so sending much. them all of us. Thanks for the trail mix. Yes. Or excuse me, the snick snacks. Snick snacks. The uh, better, the even better than check mix. Checks mix. It looks pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of like uh, pub mixes. Yeah. Kind of trail mixes, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So. He's like snacks. I, I do like snacks. Everyone likes snacks. So, if it is super salty and makes mm. my teeth hurt because it's t- it takes a lot to crunch. That that's up my alley. Noted. I'm I'm a big uh, fan of corn nuts. No, people mm, don't like okay. corn nuts. No, I hate I, corn nuts. I love grape nuts. In, in also breakfast. hate grape nuts. Everyone says it's like gravel. Yeah, <laughs> it's like really tasty gravel. I like it. I like that graveliness. Oh, Whitney. We got an email mm. while we were recording. Oh, the and rule when, is we have and, to read it. And when when we get when that happens, it just by total coincidence. But when that happens, we have to read it. Mm. So uh, this comes from Brad. Hello, Brad. Hi, Brad. Uh, dear Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool, I hope you're both doing well. My name is Brad and right to share with you an observation I have made. You may even call it a theory. Mm. I've noticed that every fictional character in the history of film with the name Brad falls into one of two character archetypes. They're either a dork or a douchebag. (laughs) Brad Boimler from Lower Decks, a dork. Mm. Brad Davis from Spider-Man, a douchebag. Mm. Brad O'Keefe from the TV show Grounded for Life is a dork. B-Rad from Malibu's Most Wanted, a Mm. dork and a douchebag. I could go on, but I'm sure there are many others that fall into categories that I'm not aware of. The one fictional Brad that I think sort of avoids these archetypes is Brad Majors from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Okay. Okay. He's constructed to be a dork, but uh, even then one could argue that he started out as a bit of a dork. Yeah, that's kind of the character. Um, My question is, have you noticed this, and are there connotations with certain names inevitable? Also, have you noticed any connotations with your own names in fictional media? Thanks for taking the time to read my letter. Sorry, it was so short (laughs) with with regards, Brad. Um, Uh, Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of um, Brad's. I remember seeing the film Friends with Kids uh, by Jennifer. Oh, I forgot the filmmaker's name. She was the one who did um, Kissing Jessica Stein. Oh, oh yeah, um, yeah. I'll go. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was her, it was Adam Scott, and uh, they were both, they were best friends, and they were very, very bitter, and they wanted to raise a child, just for their own selfish reasons. Jennifer Westfeld. Jennifer Westfeld, that's it. Um, the, the plot of that movie, it was, yeah, they decided to have a kid together mm-hmm. and just raise it, but not as a couple. Like, they weren't in love. They could still be single, but they still wanted to raise a child together. Yeah. 
Uh, a lot of people hated that movie because they clearly were raising a child for their own reasons, like not for the sake of the child. The child's needs were not at all considered in that movie. But when they meet other kids, we sort of learn the kids' names, and each one is supposed to sort of elicit a little bit of a titter. It's like, oh, this is our son, Cole. Yeah. It's like, that that actually has meaning, Cole. Uh, I remember a movie with Francis McDormand where somebody uh, named their son Tall, T-A-L. Mm. And, and Francis McDormand, who plays this really kind of sassy character, says, well, what, what if he's short? <laughs> <laughs> There's this general tendency to look down on modern naming conventions. Mm. A lot of family comedies or those types of movies are catering towards the adults in the audience, not mm. the kids. That's yeah. what kids movies are for. And so there's often this kind of sneering, like, why is everyone named Madison now? Or whatever the hell your problem is. And it for our always, generation, it was Heather. Yeah. There you go. And, 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 and Heather's is an interesting example because yeah, that was a very popular name for a while, but in the movie favor, yeah. but also in the movie Heather's that, that's so over the top, mm. like it's not a, a emblematic of the real world. It's a cartoon version of the yeah, real world. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I feel like there's a certain amount of judgment towards any kind of newer naming convention mm. that people always want to take, make fun of. It's a low-hanging fruit. Yeah, I, I did, rarely, uh, if ever, actually works, yeah, if you did, ask me. George Carlin even has a bit. He's yeah. like, I'm, I'm sick of guys named Todd. Like, even mm. like Todd or Kyle. Todd is Tucker. German for death. I thought that was a cool Todd name growing up. Um, you know you know what's not a cool name is Whitney. <laughs> um, <laughs> you don't see a lot of them in movies. Not a lot of Whitney's in movies in general, men or women. Um, yeah. I, I was born in 1978. Uh, I'll save you the math. I'm 45. Um, and uh, something happened like right when I was named that the the shift from uh, of, of Whitney being a, a boy's name to being a girl's name mm-hmm. like happened like the instant I was named. So I was growing up as one of the only boys I had ever met named Whitney. And I've met plenty of girls named Whitney. Sure. There was even a Barbie doll named Perfume Pretty Whitney. Oh. Um, uh, when you're growing up in the 1980s and kids, you know, will find any... Well, I mean, kids will find any reason to make fun of you. Right. But that was, you know, you have a girl's name. That was... Uh, yeah, there's... Uh, 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 plenty plenty of that. Again, performative heteronormativity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, it's and like, then, you, you don't fit... The box that I was told is, is rigid. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, that's what a lot and, of bullying was, yeah. I, I'm going to lash out at you based on mm-hmm. basic conventions. And then Whitney Houston came along and, oh, God, I hate you. <laughs> How dare a, a, a famous performer. woman named Whitney. Incredible yeah. performer. Uh, incredible performer, but, you know. Didn't make it, your life easier. No, crazy. certainly yeah. not. You yeah. know, ask ask uh, Conan O'Brien about his relationship to Arnold Schwarzenegger at some point. To be fair, Conan the character does predate the birth of Conan O'Brien. I suppose so, but the movie came out and, and he started getting teased on the schoolyard. No, no, I, I get um, it. So, yeah, my my experience of seeing characters named Whitney in movies is pretty thin. Mm-hmm. I'll, it happened once where I was actually very proud uh, because there was a character in a movie called The Relic <clears throat> named oh. John Whitney. Ah. Oh. And they just referred to him as Whitney. Is that the Tom Sizemore character? Or no, something? it was the monster. <laughs> there was it was it was revealed in that movie don't that remember that movie at all that, apparently. The, that this this guy went into like some far away or remote place in a jungle somewhere and he found these little like fungus that was on leaves mm-hmm. and it was like used in like the tea that he had drunk and evidently that like consuming that mm. all like the 
fungus had like the DNA of other creatures in it. Anything that had eaten it, like kind of mm-hmm. absorbs it. So whenever he drank that tea, it started to mutate his body. Ah. So the monster that was charging around the museum in the movie, the relic was Whitney. So I was proud of that, that there was actually a, a movie monster named Whitney. And I kind of like that movie, the relic. Spoilers so. for the relic, but okay. Oh no, I spoiled a monster <laughs> movie from 1997. Yeah. 25 year old monster movie that, that nobody, nobody, that nobody cares about. about. I'm sorry. I spoiled it. It was for considered you. the lesser mimic when it came out. Um, <laughs> Mimic is actually pretty kick-ass, though. Um, there aren't a lot of... There's a lot of bills in uh-huh. movies. Plenty of bills. In fact, any uh, short macho name, mm. you just get a... Mil- Jack. Bill. Jack is Bill code Jack, for yeah. the hero. You mm. rarely see a villain named Jack. Mm. Um, Williams are usually bills. Mm. And when they're not, they're usually like... I find they're usually historical figures. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, it's Sir William of Glastonbury. <laughs> um, Is it attending a music festival? Yeah, I don't. I don't see a lot of Williams in, in movies that are actually called William. So, um, and yeah, I find it, it tends to be seen as a, the hoity-toity version mm-hmm. of Bill. And you, and you've always gone as William, and never Wh- Will or Bill. Or yeah, well, like my dad was. Uh, my dad was also named William. Uh, and uh, true story, uh, that was an accident. Uh, I was supposed to be the, all of the advance word, all of the hullabaloo, all the hubbub, uh, said that I was going to be a girl. Mm. Uh, I came out. They're like, "Oh, we did not have a name. Um, you're you're Bill Junior. Yeah. Well, no, no, I'm not Bill Junior. Oh, that was an accident. Mm. I was named after another relative named William. Oh. Everyone called my dad Bill or Bib so much." He forgot <laughs> his name is William. And if you met my parents, you would believe this story. I promise you. Years later, couple like two years later, they're like on a walk. I'm like in a stroller, whatever the hell I'm doing. And we, they run into a family friend who they hadn't seen in years before I was born. And they say, oh, and who is this little guy? And apparently they said, oh, this is William. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, Bill Jr. And apparently my parents looked at each other and went, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> So no, I am not funny. William Jr. It's an actual accident. But in any case, but you could be. You could put a two at the end of your name if you nope, wanted to. No, we have to. different middle names. That ah, not, dang, that, okay. That's why. No, see, wasn't planned. Mm. Um, in any case, uh, so this was partly to tell who was who on the phone. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> so right. I, I mm. solidified William. Bill always sounds weird. Occasionally, I don't fight it. If like. Someone in a position of authority. Like, if I met Mick Jagger and he called me Bill, I'd be like, I'm not going to correct you. But, like, <laughs> generally speaking, Bill or Bibbs. And, indeed, my dad was called Bibbs, so I'm the second one, plural. Yeah. I stopped fighting that, hmm. obviously, in case you've heard our podcast, yeah, said, well over a decade ago. Sadly, there's no, like, conventional shortening of Whitney. Oh, Whit. Wit. And, and only a few people call me Wit. I have some yeah. close friends that call me Wit. And Scott Mance calls me Wit. <laughs> and I let Scott Mance, because he, he, right? he, is, he is a... a Ray of sunshine, that he's an man. Abulient um, gentleman. Uh, so he he's he's totally permitted. He yeah, if you don't know Whit. Scott Mance, uh, film critic, does a lot of TV interviews and things, mm-hmm. hosts a lot of things. Uh, one of the great Star Trek guys. In fact, he has a show very similar to our podcast mm-hmm. called Enterprise Incidents. Yeah, uh, he, he and his co-host yeah, are going through Star Trek, Star Trek as well. Or... But we have a head start on them by quite a bit. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. our all our yesterday's podcast on Patreon. <laughs> They're never going to catch up. We, we beat him to the punch. They're never going to catch up. Uh, yeah. Uh, for a, a second there, because I was being teased about my name so much, I decided yeah. to go by my middle name when I was around 10 years old. And my, my min- middle name is Stephen with a mm. PH. Yeah. Uh, this came it's balanced. That's right. It's PH balanced. 
treadmill. Oh my god, <laughs> that that's advertising language our younger <laughs> listeners don't know about. <laughs> Nobody knows about being pH balanced anymore. Um, the, the, which it's, it was the it's organic things, of its time. Yeah, it, it's it's something they'd say in like uh, advertisements for like moisturizers. This is pH balanced. Oh, good. I don't know what that means, but it sounds good. It sounds uh, great. Uh, so I tried to go by Steven. The only person who called me Steven was my dad. It's like, he listened. He's like, okay, I'm going to call him Steven. My mom didn't do it. My sister didn't do it. Nobody cared. Uh, so I gave up on Steven pretty fast. Yeah. If I had been born a girl, I would have been named Shasta. That's a cool name. I would love to be, I'd, I'd I would a hippie, love to be hosting the show with, with Shasta Seibold. Shasta Seibold. Uh, my, nice. my, my mom was a hippie. She wanted to name me after a mountain. So it was either Mount Whitney or Mount Shasta. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. I thought it was a soda thing. No, no, the soda hadn't come out yet. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, let, let me look up when Shasta hit the market. Yeah, Shasta, if you're unfamiliar, is a generic store brand cola. They have, like the, a, they have a Shasta that's Coca-Cola. They have a Shasta that's Diet Coca-Cola. No, they have a I Shasta mean, it's, it's, that's it's Diet Dr. I think it's the same company that puts out Mountain Dew. It's like I, a, it is, a but, thing, it's, but it's the cheap... If you mm. want to get a Coke, and I don't care if it doesn't mm. taste exactly like a Coke, mm. and you want to spend half the price at the supermarket, you get a Shasta. Uh, terribly sorry. The Shasta Mineral Springs Company, based in at Mount Shasta, California, was founded in 1889. Oh, so, so the soda was around. To be fair, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, we should we should move on. But okay. uh, <laughs> thank you for the yeah. for the topic conversation. Um, sorry, there aren't more cool Brads. That's not fair. Yeah, Brad Chad is also another one. Yeah, Chad okay. has a whole new meaning now. Yeah. But we won't get into that. Uh, here's another letter. This one comes from a Win Nova. Hello, Win. Hello. Um, hi, Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool. I feel like bad criticism mm. is rampant online, and mm. some terms are thrown around to make people seem clever but are wrong. If I give you the term and the internet's meaning, can you explain what it actually means and how important you think it is? Okay. Uh, number one, plot hole. Something that isn't explained. Please give a five-minute explanation for this. Okay, so a plot hole... Some people think that any flaw in a narrative is a plot hole. A plot hole isn't a character made a poor choice. Mm. A plot hole is the events that take place in the film uh, have one element that doesn't make any sense, mm. and indeed, uh, if that element was addressed, the movie wouldn't happen. Uh, mm. we, we, we came up with... Uh, we just did an episode of All Our Yesterdays about Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Right. And I discovered something I hadn't noticed before, which is a pretty big plot hole, actually. And you, I hadn't noticed this either, yeah. so I'm glad you brought this up. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, and th this is short, uh, at the beginning of the movie, uh, we see Captain Sulu on his own ship, the Excelsior. And they say, uh, they're giving a, a log, and they say, we've been exploring uh, gaseous anomalies in space. That has been our mission. Later on in the film, it is vital to the plot that uh, in order to defeat this Klingon uh, warship, uh, that they use the gas that it emits, the, the fuel, uh, to send a missile after it. And Uhura the, says... The, the Enterprise does that. Yeah, the Enterprise is going to shoot a missile, and it's going to explode the gas, and it's going to blow up the ship. And Uhura says, we could use the, the equipment that we have to study those gaseous anomalies. The Enterprise didn't have that equipment. The Excelsior did. <laughs> they clearly That's set that up. Hole, yeah. They clearly set that up, and at some point in the production, they the ship that they were on was supposed to be changed. Or maybe Sulu's ship was originally supposed to do that, and they changed it to the Enterprise. Somewhere along the line, that became a huge plot hole. They're not supposed to have that equipment. Actual plot hole. A plot hole is not. 
well, you know, it would have been a better idea if he'd gone up the stairs. Like, no. Yeah. Um, it's, act- it's an actual logical flaw it's, it's or mis- inconsistency. Yeah, an actual, like a legitimate mistake in the yeah. writing, not just a bad decision. Although, to or, be fair, or bad writing. Although, um, to be fair, sometimes in order for a movie to happen, you accept a plot hole. Well, that and that's that's what I was going to say. Um, yeah. The, uh, the and this is where um like a, they're out of fashion now, but uh, Cinema Sins was really big for a while, yeah. and and their whole and they were kind of satirical, kind of jokey about it, but it became kind of unfortunately legit after a while. Well, the, the where, impact was real, regardless of their intent. Yeah, and yeah. and the idea was, and they went through movies and listed what they considered like their sins, their cinema sins. Yeah. And it was little tiny mistakes or just little things about yeah. the story that annoyed them. Yeah. Sometimes uh, a legit real issue. Yeah, sometimes sometimes it was agree- nothing. Most of the time is petty bullshit. And they yeah. knew it was petty bullshit. That yeah. was kind of the joke. I, I think they were making fun of people who complain about movies too much, but in so doing became people who complain about movies too much. Yeah, which happens a um, lot online, yeah. So that, that gave rise to this notion that if you can spot an error or a plot hole or a movie has a lot of little moments that really mm-hmm. bother you, that is an objective way mm-hmm. to measure the quality of the film. You are um, better than that movie. Well, I, I don't know about better or worse. I, I, don't, I, like that, use, I, I don't like using that language. I'm but, saying that's a bad mentality. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I'm um, superior to this film because mm-hmm. I noticed something. Yeah. Sometimes they know it's there, mm-hmm. and they just have to live with it. Yeah. Because and, otherwise uh, the movie can't happen. I, I think if, a mov- if you're engaging with a movie and the movie has kept you engaged... Mm-hmm. Uh, you either don't care about a plot hole or you probably won't mm-hmm. notice it. Uh, the problem with a lot of modern viewing is that people watch movies dozens of times just sort of out of the gate, kind of as a mm-hmm. matter of practice. Yeah. A lot of films aren't made that way. They aren't made to yeah. be watched dozens of Especially times. Especially earlier movies before mm-hmm. movies were, were available mm-hmm. on home video ever. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock had a great term called the refrigerator test. Mm-hmm. And this is the kind of plot hole that really is probably forgivable because you're not noticing it when you see the movie. Mm-hmm. You see the movie, and you're fine with it, you like it, you enjoy it, and then you get home, you open up the refrigerator, you're going to get yourself a glass of milk, and then like, wait a minute. Yeah, that's when you say, well, it's something... If, wait, if Marty McFly went back to the future and his family mm-hmm. was different, he doesn't know anything about them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> also, wouldn't they recognize that he looks like the guy they knew in high school? Like, that, those you little, don't yeah. think about it when you're watching the movie because the movie is engaging mm-hmm. enough. In fact, it yeah, took people I'll... decades to glom onto that. Mm-hmm. So when when people say I spotted a plot hole and that makes the movie like worse, mm-hmm. uh, that's not really a, a full engagement, a full critical mm-hmm. engagement with the material. No, if it's a plot hole that actually harmed, like if it's something you really noticed, yeah, it undermines it, the film it, it or that undid, undermines the theme, it undid yeah. the story, or yeah, it, 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 like I said, it, it, it undermines something. That's an issue. Yeah, and that's what you need to say. Saying that something merely has a plot hole is just pointing out a little small piece of perhaps sloppy writing. Yeah, Citizen Kane has a plot hole for yeah. crying out loud. Like, again, the issue is, is it bad enough that it takes you out of the movie? Yeah. If it does, fair game. Hmm. But every movie has some kind of little logical inconsistency in it somewhere. Yeah. Um, right. uh, the next uh, yeah. sin that uh, that mm. Wynn noticed was uh, the term Mary Sue. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Uh, oh, this is a fraught one, isn't it? Oh um, yeah, and and, and I uh, and I'm guilty of I I use this wrong in the past, and I'm I was taken to uh, school, me, and I apologize for any time I've used it incorrectly. Uh, let, me, let me the the Mary Sue was actually created in a Star Trek fanzine. 
yeah, there was um, a uh, speaks of fan fiction in which someone I, I think it might have been a self insert character, uh, but l- um, look, uh, there and there's an author, a yeah. credit author who invented Mary Sue. Yeah, and basically um, they they wrote pa- a Star Trek Paula story. Smith. Paula Smith invented a character in a 1973 short story called mm-hmm. A Trekkie's Tale, and the idea was it, it was yeah mm-hmm. what you said it was a self insert character yeah where uh it was a, an unbearably capable character better mm-hmm. than all the other ones mm-hmm. who was going to step in correct all the problems save the day and be admired by all the other characters yeah it's 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 a power fantasy mm-hmm. and it's usually not good writing although it, it can be done well indeed in garth Marenghi's dark place it's done satirically yeah uh, where the protagonist is an absolute mary sue and that's the joke um the idea of a mary sue is that it's generally considered to be not the best writing. Yeah. Uh, again, it, it can be done well, but there's a difference between a Mary Sue and a character who is capable. Yeah. That's something that we we really, really, really need to be careful about. Ray in Star Wars, not a Mary Sue. No, in fact, Mary Sue, in my experience... Yeah doesn't rarely come up in mainstream entertainment or it does it uh, only rarely comes up rather. very very rarely uh, yeah. and and there's also a whole genre of of cinema or just fiction mm-hmm. that i really appreciate that does have ultra capable characters who are complete when they arrive mm-hmm. they don't have they don't have growth their job is to make other people grow indiana uh, jones in, yeah usually batman Batman, oh, heck, James Bond, heck, the dude. You know yeah. the, these these are not characters who change by the end. These are yeah. characters who have already changed. Yeah, pe- and they, kind of they interact with other yeah. people. Sometimes yeah. that's funny because they're because they don't change. Like mm. you know they're presented with all these wonderful ideas and these new adventures, and they still stay schlubs. That's mm. kind of a joke, a comedic version of that character. Uh, sometimes it's like in Going My Way, the Bing Crosby movie, where he arrives mm. to aid others and to help other people, and then exits the film to move on to the next adventure. Yeah, he, and help he's other people. Learned nothing. He's imparted mm. wisdom to others. Yeah. That's the function of that character. So those characters are fine. I actually like those kinds of. Stories. Yeah, he's not a Mary Sue either. Uh, and the thing is, because he his doesn't mean his life is easy. Mm. Doesn't mean his job is easy. Doesn't yeah. mean there's no pushback. You know, again, Ray, uh, preternaturally good with the Force. Sure. Does it bring her joy? No. In no, fact, it's actually that... psychologically very difficult for mm. her. You know. And, and if that's the case, why isn't Luke Skywalker a Mary Sue? He's, yeah. he's this nobody character who is preternaturally good with the Force, mm-hmm. who ends up blowing up a big death machine by the end yeah. of the movie, rises up through yeah. the ranks, he becomes a hero. Yeah. That's what we call a hero's arc, and or they, a hero's journey, a lot people of talk action, about a lot. A um, lot of action movie characters have what mm-hmm. a lot of people would label mm-hmm. Mary Sue elements. Occasionally they are, but they, they, they're labeled that way? Okay, let, let me... I, let me back up. I totally lost my train of thought. Right. A lot of action movie characters have those tendencies. They're ultra capable. They're super cool. Everyone loves them. And when it's dudes, we consider it a subgenre. Uh-huh. When it's women, people get mad. And that's a huge yeah. hypocrisy. Well, well, okay. Wrong. People don't get mad. Assholes get mad. Okay. Uh- <laughs> Some people. A specific group um, of people. And yes, yeah. assholes. Agreed. Uh, and and it's, it's, unfortunately, the term Mary Sue has been... Sort of co-opted by a lot of lazy critics Mm -hmm. as a way to describe yeah female characters that are capable in a movie that they don't like because they don't like capable female characters yeah they glommed Um, onto it because it tends to specify women and that's if you're if you're a sexist that can absolutely understandably appeal to you uh 
yeah. Mary Sue in fan fiction is very is very common. In mm-hmm. fact, that's the function of a lot of fan fiction. If you're writing yourself into yeah. an episode of the X Files, I did that when I was in in yeah. high school. I wrote myself into a Star Trek story. Yeah, it's um, a fantasy world. Why wouldn't you want to be yeah. a protagonist? So, you know, and yeah. and and I wrote myself as ultra capable. That's what you want to do when you're a kid. Yeah, and I think that's a, a healthy creative exercise. Sure, it's uh, better fantasy. Yeah. And when you, when you as somebody else are reading that, you can kind of understand that, maybe relate to that as another fan who might also do that. But those kinds of characters tend not to exist in a lot of big mainstream movies. And yeah. when you hear people whining about Mary Sue characters, be really cautious because it's yeah. likely they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, exactly. They, they heard, it's like um, you go to college, you mm. take one class in a subject and you think you're an expert mm. because you learned some vocabulary. You probably don't understand the no. full context of it. Be very wary. No. Moving on. Uh, let's see. And the third term yes. uh, is camp. Oh, oh that one, that golly. Uh, that and, a uh, tricky, actually. What are some other terms people misuse because only critic, uh, the only critics they listen to are cinema sins and are <laughs> and assholes? Okay, so camp is actually... Um, um, it's, it's a little trickier to define... Because there is definitely a line to be drawn mm. between camp and kitsch. There's yeah, well, certainly, I think Susan Sontag was. It yeah, Susan I was, was going to say, I was going to bring up. Yeah, Susan it's, Sontag. It's, easy to, it's camp. easy to define because Susan Sontag wrote a very handy essay for yeah. us. Susan Sontag has argued that called, called rules of camp. Yeah, yeah. camp in a nutshell. Um, camp isn't just hammy acting on purpose. Camp is an accident. That, uh, yeah. Camp is something it was, that it wasn't you, called rules. It was called notes on camp, yeah. and it was written in 1964. Yeah. So this is this has been around for a while. But mm-hmm. basically, um, camp is when you enjoy something mm-hmm. that other people made with sincerity, yeah. but was made in such a way, perhaps through lack of competence or lack of experience or just an attempt to do something very strange, uh, that reads entertaining in perhaps a way that was not intended. The er example of this lately, I think, is The Room. Yeah. Where it's very, very clear that the guy who made The Room thought he was making a real movie, like a good movie, a dramatic movie with emotion and pain and death and betrayal. And it's so laughably presented, it cannot be appreciated on that level. The only rational response is to chuckle. Hmm. Uh, that and, is a, and that's that is the camp. essence of camp. Yeah. Um, I misuse camp all the time mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, because, and I hear other critics misuse it all the time mm-hmm. because it's kind of changed meanings a little bit mm-hmm. when, especially when you refer to something as being campy. Yeah. Cause uh, campy is like kind of like camp. Well, camp, 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 camp refers to, uh, to sort of like, a, a, I think Susan Sontag's words was like a, an embrace of artifice mm-hmm. uh, or of melodramas of yeah. being so, sort of over the top. And um, there are a lot of films and a lot of art that try does try to achieve that deliberately. They yeah. try to tell a very over the top story, and I would argue that that is camp e, but is not campy, specifically camp. But it's not necessarily camp. And I know that's splitting hairs a little bit. Does, but, yeah. but yeah, well, again, but yeah, in, it's one of the few terms that we use like this in which authorial mm. intent is really important. Yeah, yeah, and you know? um, and I'm a big fan of both. I like films sure. that are really kind of like ornate and rococo and over the top, and uh, can be described as campy. Made by filmmakers who are going for that kind of over-the-top aesthetic. Psycho Beach Party. Psycho Beach Party. No. Yeah. Not camp. No. That's, that's deliberate overacting. Yeah, but great. Uh, <laughs> Very funny movie. It, it's a fun movie. Yeah. Uh, whereas, I'm, but I'm also a big fan of camp because I like mm-hmm. watching 
really overwrought or terrible movies with mm-hmm. have, that have very earnest intent. Sure. And I love parsing out the sort of exterior narrative of mm-hmm. what the filmmakers were going through and what they might might have been thinking. Yeah. And I'm thinking more of that than I am enjoying the really overwrought or terrible drama I'm seeing on the screen. See, that's the thing. I think some people want to write off camp as bad. I feel like at its heart, if you're doing it right, mm. appreciating camp is appreciating that supra narrative mm-hmm. that they made this thing. Someone really believed mm-hmm. in this thing. And you're connecting with that person perhaps in a way they did not intend, but you're still, you're hyper aware of the artifice. You're hyper aware yeah. of the artist's hand. Um, one movie that somehow manages to kind of do this both ways is The Lost Skeleton of Cadavra. <laughs> which is, which is a, a work of genius, oh, yeah. by the way. I one love of, The Lost Skeleton of Cadavra. One of the best comedies that, that came out in the, two, in the 2000s, 2000s, right? Yeah, yeah that's one of the best comedies of the century. Yeah. It's absolutely brilliant. I firmly believe that if you, although it's not the most famous movie and it didn't make a ton of money, it was very popular in home video, uh, I'm pretty sure that's where the term doing science <laughs> if not was invented, was popularized. People yeah. saw that movie and started saying that over and over because it's a recurring joke. Uh, but the I... idea of Las Skeleton and Cadaver is it's a 1950s, low-budget, crappy movie, the kind that you would see in MST3K, about a mad mm. scientist and an alien and a skeleton, and it's it's, it's bad. But it was done intentionally. And it is in it is and it's and it's spot on. Like oh, it yeah. uses period music, mm-hmm. and the photography is really great. The yeah. weird over the top characters, but it's also very clearly a satire. Yeah, because there's a lot of really ridiculous dialogue. And part of what makes it really, really brilliant is that you can tell by watching the characters what the actor playing that character in the fake movie is like. <laughs> you can tell that this is an actor who. They, I think they even said this in like, the commentary track. Uh, the guy who plays like the forest ranger, right, yeah. he's not playing a forest ranger. He's playing a guy who was cast as a forest ranger because he happened to own the uniform. So <laughs> like, he's not a good actor. That, that was his direction. Yeah, exactly. Really and, then, good. and then like the guy who plays like the lead alien, he's the mm. guy who is actually like trying to be a serious actor mm. off off of this. And this is he thinks this could be his mm. breakout role. So he's really going for it. And and Larry Blamira just yeah. can really turn a phrase. Like, yeah. he, wrote and directed and he started in it he, he was the one who says uh you know what this could mean for science it could mean great advances in the field of science yeah uh, that you know that's he, kind of circular ed wood like uh, yeah, dialogue that, it's poetry really it rhymes mm. um so in any case uh, so there you go hopefully yeah. that that hopefully that clarifies yeah that. Uh, so that yeah those there are a lot of terms that people miss you what, what did i hear recently there are a lot of phrases that i just hate hearing anymore. Yeah. Uh, that, compelling. That are, compelling is kind of a meaningless phrase. Yeah. Iconic has no meaning whatsoever. Don't ever, yeah. if you're, if you're a film writer, don't use the word iconic. It's meaningless. If it's iconic, people know it already. I think the only uh, exception I'll make for that is mm-hmm. if it's historically iconic, like it was iconic at the time and you may not know about it because you don't know about the 1920s. Maybe so. I yeah. would, I think that's perfectly valid. Mm-hmm. The one that I am tired of mm-hmm. and I understand why it was created. I understand why people use it, but I don't think it functions anymore. It's not perfect, but. <laughs> yeah. Um, when did you expect perfection? Hmm. I feel like we I, say I, it's not I perfect. I understand what people are getting at when they use that phrase, but yeah. It's, it's what overused. you're saying is that I, I realize that the praise that I am uh, bestowing upon this hmm. movie, TV show, video game, whatever, uh, might be suspect because you were aware that the thing may have some flaws. I'm aware of those flaws and I'm recommending it anyway, but I don't, I think that there are much better ways to say it than it's not perfect, 
but mm. just say what the flaws are and say you don't care about yeah, them, the, or that, the, right. or that, they're, or that the, the good outweighs the bad. Mm. That's fine. That phrase is overused to the point of meaninglessness. Yeah, the, the, and the other one I hate is visually stunning. Yeah, oh, visually I, haven't, stunning. I haven't seen that one in a while. To be fair, I think that one's. I, 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 I still see it still? actually. Still, people still say visually stunning. Really yeah. stunning, like yeah. stun. Save stunning for when you're stunned. Yeah, uh, it doesn't happen often. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any other like I, I know, actual film I know ones that, terms. That a lot, of, a lot of film critics have uh, have moved away from the term "well shot" because that's also kind of meaningless. <laughs> what you can see what's going on on screen as well. Yeah. Only mention the photography if it's if you really good. If it's if, if you have something, something to say about, about yeah, the photography. Exactly. Yeah. Good, good or bad. Yeah. Oh god, I feel like that, I know there are other things, and it's going to drive me up the wall. Like when we stop yeah. recording, I'll be like, "Wait, dovetailing." <laughs> People use that fine. Um, but no, it's true. And the thing is, is that it film criticism, like any industry, has its own lingo. Yeah. Uh, and like any lingo, it can be used incorrectly. Here's one: live action. <laughs> live action was a phrase that was literally invented. We didn't used to call things live action; it was considered redundant. Mm. Live action was invented when animation became popularized because. For the purpose of clear writing, we needed a term that clarified that what you were watching was not a work of animation. Mm -hmm. This is animation. Well, we need a term for something that isn't animation. We're going to call it live action. It was acted out live, as opposed to being created frame by frame individually. Live action literally means not animation. So when you call a realistically animated movie live action, it sucks. I realize that some people think that that's a compliment because that's what they're going for. What it actually does is not compliment the people who animated that movie. It erases them from the conversation. Mm. It says this is not an animated movie. That is not helping. That is not respectful. I haven't met a single animator who thought that was a good thing. Most of them find it deeply annoying or insulting. Hmm. Do not call the 2019 Lion King live action. I don't care what the press release says. I don't care that Disney did not submit it for the best animated feature hmm. category. It's an animated film. I think it is also worth noting that VFX animators do not have the same union protection that actual people who are declared actual animators are. Hmm. Maybe we shouldn't let companies like Disney get away with that. That's one that pisses me off. I gotta be honest. That that needs to be, and I know professionals who have used that, and mm -hmm. I'm not happy about it. Uh, and, and and then I, I could go into we so, go so many more weeds. Um, here is a letter from uh, Sorella. Hello, Sorella. Hi, Sorella. Um, dear guys, I wanted to say up front that you're my number one podcast. Oh, thank, oh, thank you. you. I never miss a show. I live for the Iron List and for the Godzilla Fridays. And I've never had a quarrel with you until now. Ah, oh, shit. Uh, I was enjoying the December 18th movie review shoe until The Zone of Interest. Oh, no. Honestly, when you mentioned that the film was so timely, I sat up for and waited you for, for you to mention anti-Semitism. Mm. And then you don't. Uh, you reference the former president as a fascist wannabe. You kind of imply that Auschwitz was evil, but you didn't mention any of the Jews. Uh, what the hell, guys? I'm hoping you were trying to be non-confrontational, maybe trying not to offend the Nazis in the audience. Oh, oh that's not no, it at all. No, 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 no. Fuck you, any Nazis in the audience. Yeah. You're not welcome. Yeah, if, if yeah. you're a white supremacist, if you belong to a white supremacist group or you're a Nazi, fuck off. Yeah. Don't, don't listen to our show. We don't want you here. Uh, we yeah. don't want your, your downloads. We don't mm. want anything. Thank yeah. you. Um, 
Uh, all four of my great-grandparents died in camps. Mm. Uh, my mother was hiding for years during the war. This is a legacy I take very seriously, uh, but you, n- n- none of you said the word Jew. Silence is complicity, and I'm very upset. Uh, signed, Sorella. Okay, we uh, fucked up. Uh, we fucked up if that's the case. We did, and uh, but I think we did along the lines of what the film was saying to us. Mm. Uh, the Zone of Interest is about Auschwitz, and it's specifically about the Nazis, who are running Auschwitz. Yeah. Uh, the camera stays with the Nazis who are running Auschwitz. It's about uh, the character is named Rudolf Hoss. He's a real Nazi commandant who ran mm-hmm. Auschwitz. Um, who's played by Christian Fried- uh, Friedel, I think uh, is the actor's I, name. I, I'll look it up. That's um, uh, and the camera... Jonathan Glazer made the movie. He's a British filmmaker. And he uh, staged all of the scenes in the zone of interest, keeping the camera way back. Yeah, Christian Friedel. Yeah. Christian Friedel. And he uh, he formed, filmed like a lot of dioramas of the interior of the home that was right next to Auschwitz. The camera never goes into Auschwitz. Uh, and in fact, we never see any of the victims explicitly. Uh, uh, we see people who are working in their house. We, that's fair. true. We yeah. see like the people that they've enslaved. Yes, The yes, Jewish yes. people they've enslaved. Yeah. And they casually uh, threaten. It's awful. Yeah. Casually threaten. And, and there's a few really horrifying scenes where the camera stays on the garden and shows close to flowers while on the soundtrack we Mm. hear the suffering yeah yeah this is something that i actually just looked up after we did our review that uh and and i thought this was a deliberate choice to keep sort of the the victims uh off camera because the main characters weren't thinking of them they're so inhuman Mm -hmm. that they just ignored the Jewish people that they were slaughtering right next door, yeah. that they were turning into smoke in out of you know in Auschwitz just next door. Um, there's a scene, there's a, several scenes throughout the movie where a young Polish girl is stalking around the outskirts of Auschwitz, hiding food. Yeah, uh, for the prisoners she knows come out and do work outside, and mm-hmm. she's hoping to. And this is a real thing. Uh-huh. And in fact, Jonathan Glazer, and this is what I learned, Jonathan Glazer shot his movie in the home of a 90-year-old woman who did that. Oh, wow. That And in fact, the young girl was wearing a dress and was riding a bike that belonged to that 90-year-old woman. That was wow. vintage stuff. That's amazing. And one thing she finds outside of, of Auschwitz is a little piece of paper with some music on it. And she takes it home and she kind of plays it a little bit. That was a real piece of music written by an actual prisoner of one of the Auschwitz camps. Wow. Um, who and he survived oh. so you can actually go to uh there's websites online that have a recording of this guy who recorded in the 1950s mm-hmm. after the war was over uh this piece of music that he wrote while he was in the camp wow. so there is a jewish voice in that movie wow that was found wow and that was jonathan glazer's point that there was no voice for these victims in that home because there was yeah. nobody to listen. It was just the monsters. Okay, here's here's where mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna just uh-huh. do a little pushback on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, no excuse for us not to say it. No. And I no. think when we're trying to tackle a movie that is this harsh, mm-hmm. that is this severe, that brings up so much pain and so many and so much real life hatred, uh, and it sounds like and this was not intentional. This would this was a just an oversight, but not not cool. Um, we fucked up, mm. uh, and we should have been more explicit about that. And for that, I apologize. I cannot apologize enough. That was foolish, and mm. I really apologize. I, I'm really sorry to anyone who would, who was offended by that. Um, 
yeah, that that, that mm. that's it. I I have nothing. I will endeavor to do better yeah. about that. Uh, and um, I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, apologies for that. And and yeah. um, but yes, that was that was implicit in the movie. Um, I I still recommend you see it. It's very yeah. hard. Yeah. Um, and we weren't really explicit about what happened at the end of that movie. And yeah. I think we were trying to hold that back. And if we yeah. were able to talk about the final scenes of the film, yeah. because we wanted, we're trying to do our critical no, due it's, diligence. It's and new and it hasn't yeah. been like wide, wide so, release So we yet, kept, so. And, and it's actually those final scenes where we get to sort of explore that and, you know, see what happened to the victims and what happened to all of the Jewish people who were killed in the camps. Yeah. Uh, in a different context, and yeah. I'm still being a little bit vague. Yeah, I, we, um, I want you to be able to discover it for yourself. Yeah, because because it's because it. it's an incredibly powerful ending. Um, yeah. So yeah, that the way the film was constructed kind of sadly had us dancing a little bit more than maybe we ought to. Have. Yeah, and, and that was and honestly that was irresponsible, and I apologize. Thank right. you for taking us to task for it. Thank you. Um, here is a letter from Alexa. Okay, I like uh, it. And this is the best films of 2023. Okay, awesome. Um, I know this is a little early. This uh, letter came to us a couple, uh, couple days ago. Um, but because of scheduling, I have at this point recorded my year, my end-of-year top 10 podcast. And since I have another list I'll be sending to you guys in early 2024, I figured I will send this one now. So here's my criteria. I count any film that is listed as 2023 or had their first U.S. theatrical release in 2023. Yep. Uh, pretty pretty, pretty standard criteria, I yeah, feel. It's, it's, it's frustrating when you get to international release dates, but it, you, it can we, be complicated. we stay in our country. Yeah. Um, and uh, quick fun facts, my contenders list was 58 movies across nine languages. Nice. So here are the top 10 movies of 2023. Okay. Number 10, The Blackening. Uh, directed by Tim Story. That. This is probably oh, the most I laughed at a movie this year, and I know there was a chunk of the jokes that went completely over my head, but it was a bunch of fun. Yeah, I really need to get past. Yeah. I need to get to that because I've heard really good things. Yeah, and just yeah. haven't had the opportunity. Uh, number nine, Kill Bok Soon. Director Byun Sung Hyun. Uh, this is both a greatly realized action movie and a fantastic mm. drama about a single mother trying to balance her work life and her relationship with her kid. John Do Yoon is a star-making performance in this film. I don't know Kill Bok Soon. Uh, I don't this know. One has escaped my up. attention. Thank you. Um, number eight, A Haunting in Venice directed by Kenneth Branagh. I like this one a lot. <laughs> I, 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 I'm a sucker for, even if they're all bad, I kind of like his Poirot movies. I, I think this mm. might be the best one, actually, yeah, the more I, I think about it. You know? I love these films, and this is by far the most atmospheric of them. The film mm. wisely makes the atmosphere the selling point. Everyone is on point, and it was engaging, even when I knew it was going. Uh, number seven, Phantom, directed by Lee Hai Young. Uh, this action thriller about the 1933 occupying Japanese government trying to root out pro-independent Korea operatives in, in their government plays well with both detention and action sequences, all while being just a little gay. Uh, <laughs> it's a great time, and Honey wow. Lee is making a resume uh, as a really solid actress. Well, I... Wait, I, wait I, a, a queer historical action flick? I'm there. I'm very much there. Yeah. Uh, I had heard of that, and I heard it was good, but no one ever described it thusly. Yeah. And now I'm definitely seeing that movie. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, number six, King of Snipers, directed by Chris Huo. Mm. This is China doing good direct-to-video action comedies, and it's fantastic. Yang Xing is an amazing and captivating performer and puts this film on her back. The, it's more fun than most of the action movies that came out of the U.S. this year. 
Well, that's true for a lot of... You I mean, can say uh, that about a lot of international action movies. All, yeah. Also, a lot of paltry action flicks this year. Well, that's true, um, too. Uh, number five, Black Ice, directed by Hubert Davis. This is a compelling documentary. Yeah, I reviewed this and one. You, uh, you and you don't know, need to know anything about hockey to get engrossed in it. It says something that I was angry when I had to go to the bathroom during the showing I went to. Yeah, Black Ice is a really good documentary about uh, the... Um, uh, under-recognized history of black hockey players, specifically in Canada, ah, okay. uh, and uh, the, the prejudice and racism that is still involved, and uh, it's really good. I'm not I'm right. not a hockey guy at all, and I really uh, thought it was a fantastic documentary. Right. Number four, Lost in the Stars, directed by Xiang Lu and Rui Kui. Uh, this is China doing a Hitchcock thriller. Hmm. It's tense, twisty, and has a great performance from Ni Ni. There is a uh, reason this one is this is one of the biggest films of the year in China. Hmm. That that's something that gets lost here in the United yeah. States. Is you know a lot of films make buku bucks mm-hmm. in uh, well, <laughs> to, to rely on a, a term from 1989 uh, in China, and they're just they don't get released here in the United States, mm-hmm. and they don't get mentioned in worldwide like, box office and, and reports in the United States. And some movies don't end up overseas because they're very culturally specific, and mm-hmm. there's a sense that maybe they won't necessarily hit as hard in other places. Hey, hey here's an idea. Try us. I understand that, <laughs> and I'm just saying that, but um, uh, I'm, my point is this. There really is no excuse. Uh, for example, and this is something, a, a bit of a digression, um, the highest grossing movie ever directed by a woman is Barbie. Do you know what the second highest grossing is? Oh, what was it? it, it I think it's like smiling at my mother or it's like it's a family drama from china mm-hmm. it uh, is it is a comedy called high mom hi mom there it made go. 850 million dollars <laughs> and it was it was a chinese production mm. yeah um we that, i don't even know that's ever been released in america that's absurd yeah. can you imagine if american movie made 850 million dollars and they didn't bother releasing it overseas because right, people we, would we, say that's foolish. People yeah. say that's foolish, right? But like, we it, we just not get. I know uh, they don't get enough attention. It's a shame. There was a movie that came out a couple of years ago called The Wandering Earth. It was a big science yeah. fiction picture yeah. about you know we equipped the entire planet with an engine and we're flying it through the cosmos and yeah. it's you know about a drama that's set on the wandering Earth. Huge hit in China. Oh yeah, made, it, made a ton it, of money. It was a Netflix release in the U.S. and mm. they didn't advertise it. It's like so you can see it. Mm. One of the biggest movies ever made. Oh, I forgot to mention, Hi Mom is also a time travel movie. <laughs> oh, shit! About a, about a woman who goes back in time to, to meet her mother at a younger age. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, number three, Godzilla Minus One, directed yes. Takashi Yamazaki. I love the way this film shows PTSD and how it interrogates the kamikaze tactics used by used in World War II by the Japanese, all while being an amazing action picture. The human drama alone puts this film on the list. Godzilla is just the cherry on top that pushes it up this high. Number two, Shin Ultraman, directed by Shinji Higuchi. Uh, This one sneaks in here on my rules with its January U.S. theatrical release, Mm -hmm. so I'm glad it did. It's a stunning showcase of how you can adapt an older property in a way that makes it feel modern while keeping its core spirit. Also, the film tackles some of the ideas that the Superman films have been trying to tackle for a while and doing it a mile better. That's a really well said, actually, point there. (laughs) Please, if you haven't seen Shin Ultraman... It rules. It's really, yeah. really fucking I've good. I've seen the first half. I haven't finished it. I, I know, need to get back to that one. Yeah. I loved it. They use period music. Mm-hmm. It just looks really authentic. And they and they use modern visual effects, but to create like a heightened version of the 60s aesthetic. Yeah. And it's really... It, 
oh, it's so masterful. <laughs> That's the kind of thing I wish we would like reward more with like visual effects awards. Mm. It's not just how good it looks; it's how like how, how well it was used. Yeah, yeah. like and, and like. Did you do something interesting with mm. it, you know? Like, that's something that I think we should be and, a factor too, but uh. And number one is How to Blow Up a Pipeline nice. by uh, Daniel Goldhaber. Uh, this film is so powerful and pointed, I'm so happy it got made, and I hope this brings a new wave of powerful yet accessible protest art. Yeah, that movie's great, mm. yeah. Uh, see more? Um, yeah, let's do one more. All right. Uh, here's a letter from Moses. Hello. Uh, Dear Bebs and Death Tongue, pronounced Rockmeister McCool. <laughs> On your recent Iron List, movies begin with the letter I, you discussed that fans of Indiana Jones series were upset that the Marcus Brody character mm. was portrayed as a buffoon in The Last Crusade, and I beg to differ. Okay. Who cares about Brody? The fact that Sala, the best digger in Egypt, who saves Indy's life countless times in Raiders, went from being a serious but joyful man to a pathetic, ineffectual step-and-fetch-it. Jeez. Ooh, jeez. Um, that's, a, that, that's a harsh word. Um I put it to you that the egregious disservice is to Sala. In the first film, Sala is eloquent mm -hmm. and educated. He occasionally acts in a servile manner to trick the Nazis. In the third film, he is servile. He is a caricature. He even wears a fez. Anyway, loving your podcast as always. All the best, Moses. Um, and uh, yeah. <laughs> and P.S. You're wrong. Conan the Destroyer sucks. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then this is all about Okay. You and me are going to have some words. Um, okay. That's actually a good point about Sala, by the way. And mm. I was I was talking about why I like the movie and like, maybe I underplayed things that don't work. And yeah, Sala isn't as well handled as he is in, in Raiders. Um, I do believe, however, that... Um, the way he's treated in the Dial of Destiny is worse in some respects. Oh, because he's, he's barely in it. Well, A, he's barely in it, but B, there's this whole bit... Oh, where he says, I want to go on an adventure. Like, please, yeah. Indy, let me, take me on one last adventure. I'm old and I just want to live again. And Indiana Jones says, no, and just leaves him. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Why even put that scene in there? What are you doing? What are you... It's, it's frustrating. I remember I interviewed John Rhys-Davies, who played the character of Sala, mm. and um, I asked, this is before Dial Destiny was even a twinkle, um, but it was after um, uh, it was after uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull had come out. And I said, had there been any talk, because he's not in that movie, is there, was there ever any talk about you not being, uh, were there any talk about you being in that movie? And he said, uh, yes, yes there was. I was asked to be in the wedding scene. Uh, and I was okay with it until I found out they weren't going to have me on set. They wanted oh, me to sit in a chair in front yeah, of a green, green screen, screen and yeah. smile and clap, and I said no. Good for him. Mm. Well done. I, I know that um, John Reese davies and I've, I've heard him speak in interviews, he's mm. a little was a little ambivalent about Sala for the yeah. longest time, because he liked the character he played. Mm. He liked that he was in a hit film. But he, like any famous role, he felt like he got a little pigeonholed. A little typecast, yeah. And uh, he started to, like, was invited to, like, conventions and stuff to sign autographs. And it was all pictures of just Sala. Yeah. Like, you know, I have a big body of work. I'm a prolific yeah. actor. He's like, actually in, like, hundreds of, as hundreds of credits. Oh, yeah. I bet he gets that a lot for Lord of the Rings now, though. Maybe so. Yeah. I, uh, I would I would approach him with a Sliders picture. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the whole it is whole damn series for a while yeah, there. Uh, yeah. R.I.P. Tracy Torme, by the way, uh, Star Trek writer and co-creator of Sliders. Oh yeah, passed away today as a. As oh, a, as I recording. didn't even hear about yeah, that. Yeah. Oh no, that's terrible. Legit UFO guy. He wrote uh, Intruders, a TV movie. Oh yeah. on a, a, a podcast once, wow. but um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, John Reese Davies is there. He's signing autographs for these genre pictures, and he's like, oh, "This is not acting." 
But mm. then he started, he went to enough of these conventions to realize, wait a minute, the tide never stops. Yeah. There's just all this affection, all of these people that I've clearly touched with my performance. Mm-hmm. It may just be one or two that reached that widely, but I reached people. So yeah. he actually came to really appreciate fan communities after a while and yeah. you became it very can, warm to fans. It can be after a double-edged a sword. Yeah. You know, yeah. like they, you know, on one hand you might get typecast mm. on the other hand, people love mm. it. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it, they connected with them. Mm. That is usually a good thing. Yeah. You know, so, but I, yeah. I, I'm not an actor, but I can understand why an actor might feel that way about a famous mm-hmm. role. It's like, I, I am more than that. Especially I'm capable you, of working a lot. And but. especially if like, and I'm not saying this is John, John Reese Davis, but, mm-hmm. um, Especially if you didn't think much of it. Yeah, like, this, didn't this like was, the role. This or, was my uh, paycheck role or something like that, and I can't get past it or whatever. Um, yeah, this was never my passion. I always wanted to do something else. I can understand mm. that. But in any case, you, 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 you play the cards you're dealt after a while. In any case, uh, that is it for We've Got Mail. Thank you so much for everybody, to, to everybody who wrote in. Sorry if we didn't get to your letter. Um, we might read it next week. Feel free to write again. If it's important, feel free to flag us. Um, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. box? Send it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yes, thank you to all the kind words. Uh, at, thank you for all the kind words, and uh, thank you for all the criticism. Yeah, because that's how we grow. We would be incredibly hypocritical if we rejected criticism. We take it very, very seriously. Mm. So thank you so much to everybody who takes us to task when we screw something up. It means a lot to me. Uh, so uh, we're on social media uh, again at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Rennie Seibold. Uh, if you want this show and all of our future shows ad free. You can head on over to the Critically Acclaimed Patreon, patreon.com slash network. You can also get our shows, all our yesterdays. You can listen to our most recent episode about uh, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, where we talk about some other plot holes in that movie. Um, we have a ton of other stuff as well. So thank you to all of our patrons. We couldn't do this without you. We wouldn't want to do this without you. You mean the world to us. And if you can't afford to support us on Patreon, Patreon and you want to, uh, just leave us a review. A star rating, one sentence, wherever you find us, Apple, doesn't matter. It really, really, really helps. I, It's weird, but it's true. It really does. So if you feel like helping and you can't afford it, we get it. That would help. Again, thank you all. We hope you're having a wonderful new year, and we'll see you again soon. Sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney. Whitney.